Coaching Overtime with your host, Coach Danielle McCartan. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is 60-Minute Overtime, Spring 2017, Episode 2. Today is January 15, 2017. I'm your hostess, hostess, Danielle McCartan. Uh, find my work real quick on prosportsrundown.com, Twitter at Coach, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, uh, which is linked to my Periscope right now, which I'm streaming live at Coach McCartan on Periscope. YouTube, any videos that I've done, any interviews that I've done at Coach, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. What else? SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. Also on demand, this is today going to be turned into an iTunes official podcast, so if you miss it, don't worry. It's going to go right to your phone. Also on TuneIn Radio, type in 60 Minute. Also, if you are an Android user, I have something for you too. Play.google.com slash search Coach McCartan. And again, like I said, video simulcast right now on Periscope and on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. That's where you can find all of my work. Got something to say? Call the studio. 201-825-1234. Got a lot on uh, for you guys today. Today's guest, we're going to have uh, Chris Villani calling in. He's a radio host for WEEI in Boston. That's like uh, the major sports network in, in Boston and ESPN Radio. Uh, Eric Coleman, uh, we had to record this morning because he's busy with his serious XM N- NFL gig that he does, but he's a former NFL safety Jets, Lions, and most importantly, the Falcons. We talked this morning, and I'll play for you guys extensively about the Falcons game from last night. Third, and up first, actually, is going to be Phil Hecken. He's the deputy editor of UniWatch, which is a huge blog online. If you don't know what it is, it's huge. Go check it out. It's a blog dedicated to the, in his words, obsessive study of athletics aesthetics. And I'll have for you my interview with boxer, legendary Italian-American boxer, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. So you guys can uh, weigh in right now about your opinions about the Chargers' move to Los Los Angeles, the Chris Brown-Soldier Boy fight, which has been an update, the NFL playoffs, and at any point in time you can call in. Also, uh, Adam Schefter this morning, I had to change my plans up a little bit, he announced that the NFL is expected to expand and consider the NFL playoffs uh, on, on Sunday night, which uh, I'll give you my opinion in a minute. So let's start off, let's kick this off with my what the F news. <laughs> I thought I was going to say it, right? What the F news of the day. After a 55-year stay, the San Diego Chargers are moving back. They only have one season there, but they are moving back to Los Angeles starting this upcoming season. This is not in the future. This is now, next season. They will be playing in Los Angeles. They will share a stadium with the Los Angeles Rams, who um, have just moved there as well. Someone on Periscope just said, announcement, the NFL is moving all teams to Los Angeles. Yes, that's that's what it seems like. Uh, the new logo was unveiled this week. Well, the... Okay, they so the, the Chargers unveiled a logo. And I want you just in your mind's eye now to picture a logo for the the um, Los Angeles Dodgers. The blue, the white letters with the blue background, the L.A. Okay, now I just want you to put a lightning bolt, a white lightning bolt extending from, I believe it was the A. And there you go. That is the logo of the Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> Twitter went nuts. Twitter went... T- Professional teams were trolling the Chargers so hard. Uh, I think 
my favorite one had to have been the, the Dallas Stars. I think it was the Dallas Stars, where they took the Cowboys logo and they colored it green. And they tweeted something along the lines of, we hope you don't mind. Basically saying that, you know, we're just going to take your logo and change it to make it ours. And we hope you don't mind. <laughs> we, we hope you don't mind. Uh, and, and it was professional teams. It was minor league teams. It was college teams that were just tweeting to the Chargers their renditions with a little modification of a lightning bolt or so uh, and, and making it, calling it the L.A., whatever team that they were. Um, and then the, the Chargers finally came out and said, this is not our official logo, it's just a prototype, which people had more fun with. Because that's almost admitting that, you know what, you had a crappy one to begin with. <laughs> oh, someone said, hey, 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 they are in a rush, they are moving as we speak. That is true. But this wasn't new news. This wasn't decided overnight. This was not decided overnight. So, you know, someone, I think, I hate to do this, but someone deserves to lose their job over there. Because, um, I hate to say this, but what kind of logo design was that? Aren't you a professional? If you are a professional, you wouldn't just add a little lightning bolt on the bottom and call it the San Diego Chargers logo, now would you? And also, I'd like to point out that people... We're burning their jerseys. I've talked about this on here before. We've seen it when LeBron James went to Miami after leaving uh, Cleveland. People in Cleveland were burning jerseys, bonfires in the middle of streets and things like that. And now it's happening again. People are burning their jerseys, their Chargers jerseys. We're going to look at the phenomenon uh, with this. We're going to examine that phenomenon. Have you ever burned a jersey before? I'd like to hear from you. Please, 201-825-1234 is the number because I just don't get it. I don't understand it. It's, as far as I know, the Chargers are going to keep keep the same look. I just think that the you know they have to change it. They have to change their logo. They're not the San Diego Chargers anymore. So they're going to have to look at different ways to market themselves in the L.A. market. But I don't think the entire uniform is going to be changed. Someone, I mean, tweet me if, if you've heard anything different or any different articles, but or read any different articles, but I, I just don't think that this is a, a smart idea. <laughs> because it's not that you're not going to be a San Diego Chargers fan anymore. Let's just get this straight. San Diego is only like two hours away from L.A., the Chargers and the Rams, by default, the Rams, are still the closest the two teams to San Diego. So, who else are you going to root for? Are you going to become an Arizona Cardinals fan? Are you going to become uh, a San Francisco 49ers fan? Those teams are all farther away from you. <laughs> so, by burning your San Diego jersey, San Diego Chargers jersey, what are you accomplishing? So, someone just said, I can't imagine what's going to happen when the Raiders move to Vegas. <laughs> They're going to set the entire city on fire. Uh, at Rise Up Nation just joined me. Rise Up Nation, I have an interview with your Eric Coleman coming up in a little while, so I hope you hang tight on there. Um, so uh, we're going to welcome into 60 Minute Overtime 
Phil Hecken. He is the uniform guru, okay? He's the deputy editor of UniWatch, which is a blog, a blog dedicated to the obsessive study of athletics aesthetics. And he's going to be on 60-minute overtime right now. We're going to take a little more in-depth look at the aesthetics of the L.A. Chargers. Phil, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Um, where are you, anyway? I'm, uh, I'm on Long Island. I'm in Mineola. Okay, Long Island. All right, so a local guy. Because did you hear that this morning that they want to extend the NFL playoffs to be on Sunday night football now? Well, I think they, they did that because the, uh, they're doing that for the weather. Um, it's supposed to be like an ice storm or something in Kansas City today, so I think they're doing that more for the um, you know, safety of the patrons going to the game rather than as a permanent thing. But if, it, if, if they want to make it permanent, I can see this being a good trial balloon. Yeah, well, Adam Schefter this morning did tweet that the NFL is going to consider a permanent Sunday night football playoff game. Yeah, well, oh. I think they get better ratings in prime time, so uh, it's a good excuse for them to try it. Yeah, tonight. yeah, good experiment here. Okay, so... All right, let, let's just talk about this. Did you like the L.A. Chargers initial logo that they put out? Uh, no. <laughs> it, it was awful. Um, but here's the thing, and I'm sure you know this. The, uh, the logo that they, they did tweet out, tweeted out the other day, um, and which was just absolutely ripped to shreds on social media, particularly yep. on Twitter, yep. um, has been sort of backed off, and they're calling it a temporary logo. It's not going to be on any of the merchandise, not going to be on the helmets or the uniforms. Right. Uh, and they've changed it actually now three times in total, uh, twice since the, uh, the original um, uh, you know, uh, uh, reveal, if you will, the mm -hmm. other day. Now, what was your favorite internet troll? Because I think mine, I forget who it was, the Dallas Stars, I think it was, and they took the Cowboys logo and just colored it green. What was your favorite one? Well, that's, that's a really good one. That was um, one of the first ones, and I'm trying to remember who did uh, one of the, uh, the, oh, you know what it was? It was the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, yeah. Because the colors that the Chargers originally uh, tweeted out were um, navy blue and white, which mm -hmm. were the colors of the Lightning, mm -hmm. and it looked very much like the Los Angeles Dodgers logo as well. So the Lightning, I think, tweeted to them, uh, checks mentions, squints, clears throat, all in, um, you know, with little stars around them. And for the record, us and the Dodgers are just friends, and that sort of <laughs> set the ball rolling. And then you had, of course, the um, stars, which was genius with the, with the green star, yeah. um, you know, saying, hey, Cowboys, this is, are you cool with this? Uh, but that set off just... I don't know, probably at least 100. I'm sure there were more than I even saw. Yeah. Um, mostly minor league teams in baseball, but others as well, sort of adding lightning bolts in some capacity to their own logos, which was really, really funny. Now, if you could design your own logo, knowing what the Chargers are and what they're about, what modification would you suggest to them? Well, honestly, and even before they tweeted out the new logo, we knew something was coming that morning. I said they should go back to what they did in 1960 when they actually played their first season as an AFL team, an AFL when the league started in 1960 uh -huh. in Los Angeles. It's really um, quite a good logo. It, it has like a, a, it's hard to describe over the air, but it has basically like a horse's head, which a charger in one of its definitions is actually like a charging horse. Uh -huh. um, and it basically just said Los Angeles, and it was... Uh, you know, in blue and gold, uh, their their original colors. I would suggest they go back to something that looks almost exactly like that. Just you know, um, maybe tweak it a little. Because of course, nowadays you have to do that because um, God forbid we could just mm -hmm. go back retro completely. <laughs> but uh, I, I would basically go back to what they had originally. I thought it was a fantastic logo. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. I actually googled that. I kind of like it. You know, it's it's we we can originally connected about the the Giants logo and how they went with the. Like you just said, the metallic paint with the old Giants logo on it. So I could see them, you know, contemporifying this and uh, 
I kind of like this. Yeah, I mean, if, if they're smart, they'll do something like that. Yeah. But, um, um, I actually, that was that was one of the tweets I had. I said, I think I said something like, if the Chargers have any sense, they'll go back to their original logo. And I must have gotten six or seven replies, like either big if or you're, you're implying the Chargers have sense. So, you know, who knows? Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's just it, what they did is not good, and I think they know that. And um, fortunately, you know, they backed off uh, saying that it's going to be the real logo anyway. But uh, even as a placeholder. Yeah, awful. And the Giants one was so well-received. Okay, so now, all over Twitter, and we talked about this, people are hosting bonfires, they're burning Chargers jerseys. First of all, what is the significance of burning a jersey? What does one get out of that? Other than, a, you know, a pile of uh, burnt jersey, and <laughs> some of them, if they're polyester, I don't even know if they actually can properly burn. But I, I've never understood that. Um, and it's not just the Chargers. Anytime a team either does something really terrible, you know, if it's a particular player who does something awful, fans will burn his or her, his, not her, jersey, <laughs> um, unless you're talking about the WNBA. Uh, and, um, you know, if a team relocates as a show of, like, hey, you're leaving us, you're whatever, um, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll burn the jerseys. It's obviously a symbolic act, I think, more than anything. I, I, I mean, personally, I think it's one of the stupidest things you can do. You already laid down, you know, in some cases, $300 for a, for a, you know, a a polyester shirt, and now you're just going to burn it. But I think a lot of people do it because of the, you know, they know they'll get a reaction on social media. Everybody's got cell phones now, so they just they video it, and then they put the video up, and it gets a lot of views. Um, I don't know that there's any, you know, practical purpose to it. Um, I can't see how you wouldn't be filled with some sort of regret after having done it, like, oh, my God, I just burnt my shirt. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a form of protest, and it's, it's been going on for a while. I can't fault the Charger fans necessarily. Uh, they're not unique in this, but uh, it never made any sense to me. And they cost $200, $300 a jersey. I mean, the you yeah. know, the real ones. I have an authentic... Yeah, exactly, if you buy the authentic, sure. Yeah, I have an authentic Mark Sanchez jersey. I wasn't burning that jersey. <laughs> yeah. uh, a Jets one? Or, uh, a Jets one, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well. I had one of those, too. <laughs> Goodwill. Uh, so now, now, have you seen anything? Because you're the uniform guru, and you have a great thing going online. Have you seen anything that the Chargers are getting a total uniform overhaul, or no? Because that's that's even more to the point of how dumb that is. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I don't know. I don't have any inside information, and even if I did, I wouldn't be. You know, it'd be under embargo, and I couldn't tell you. But to do a uniform change, it's not something they can just do overnight. Basically, there's a chain of command, and there has to be approvals, right. and then they have to submit. You know, various. Graphs. A lot of teams will now do this all with focus groups. So even if they were to change their logo and uniforms, uh, the, the logo might be quicker, but the uniforms probably take anywhere between 18 to 24 months just to get a change. Right. Um, you know, again with all the approvals and things you need, you have to let the league know, and then there's a certain period of time. Um, you know, you can't change the uniforms for five years. Although I don't think the Chargers, I think they've finished their five years on the current set, so they certainly could do it. Um, and what will probably happen, if I had to guess, is sort of what will happen with the Rams, where we all think they're going to get new uniforms when they move to the new stadium, which they'll now share with the Rams mm -hmm. in 2019. might happen in 2018. Uh, who knows? They're, right now they're going to play in the, the L.A. Galaxy Stadium, which holds, I think, like, I don't know, 20 or 30,000 yeah. people. So it's not even an NFL stadium. And they're stuck there, basically, for like three years until the, uh, the new uh, Rams Stadium opens, which, as I said, which they'll share. So... The guess is that they'll probably have something new, or you would think they would probably have something new by, like, two or three years from now. But, you know, again, I, I know nothing on that, but that's just a guess. So uh, did you see that uh, 
Jeff Cumberland, who's the tight end for the Chargers, he was booed at the LA Clippers, LA Lakers game when they they that, yeah. they put the logo on the scoreboard and he just got booed. Yep, yep, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's that's and, and the Clipper fans. I mean, they're like the second. I mean, now they're actually better than the Lakers, but for you know, what, however long they've been there, they're the second team in LA. So you'd think the fans might actually feel some empathy <laughs> for the Charger fans, but I guess not. Yeah, I guess not. All right, so uh, thanks for coming on. I know that was a quick little segment. Um, and uh, just shout out where people can find you and, and your work. Okay, well, I'm the uh, deputy editor of, of the UniWatch blog, which I think, as you mentioned at the beginning, is the obsessive study of athletics, aesthetics. I can't even say that fast. uni-watch.com, and I'm on Twitter at phil.hecken. Great. All right, great. So uh, you are going to be, every time something comes out with uniforms, you are my go-to guy, so... Thank you. Thanks for coming. No, thank you. Alrighty. Okay. Have bye. A good one. bye. Bye. So, will we now see a domino effect? The Qualcomm Stadium will be vacant. Does that open up now a, a spot for the Raiders to move to Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego instead of going to Las Vegas? I, you know, the Oakland Raiders moving to San Diego, same state. It might happen. I mean, that's a that's a uh, logistical thing that, that that might be a little easier than building an entire new stadium in Las Vegas. But in my opinion, I don't think so. Uh, I think Vegas has a market. I think re- Vegas is ready for a team, especially after having the uh, the hockey team there unveiled this year, which also had its own uh, controversy with the logo and the name and, and everything. But they are the Vegas. I can't even think. The Vegas. Ah, I can't. It's escaping me, but. Um, I think the Raiders are going to keep uh, keep plans to go to Vegas. Uh, with that, though, uh, by the way, I, I wrote an article on ProSportsRundown.com. That was in November. I got a great um, vote of confidence. There's a guy uh, at ESPN over there in Las Vegas, and, and he said he was the one who broke the story, read my article, and said it was a, a great I don't know, analysis of what's going on out there. So that that made me feel really good. Um, but the Raiders update. The Raiders will file any day now uh, official relocation paperwork uh, with the NFL to move from Oakland to Vegas. Oakland has made uh, really no real, uh, <laughs> no real, what's that called, <laughs> attempt to keep them there. Someone just said no one in Vegas cares about uh, about football. I don't know. I disagree with that. You should check out the article. I interviewed some people that live there. Uh, Goldman Sachs now has stepped in to, to vow to, to help finance the stadium. As I originally reported, the owners will vote. It will not take place before the Super Bowl paperwork. Now that they've filed it or will file it very soon, it needs to be reviewed for four to six weeks, and then there's going to be a vote. So same thing, though. You're still going to need a majority. 24 owners needed to vote yes. Kraft is still in. Uh, Jerry Jones is still in, so that's that's good news for the, the Vegas people. Uh, and the Raiders plan on playing in Oakland until the stadium in Vegas is finished. I wonder what that's going to do to their attendance. Who knows? Speaking of Vegas, uh, boxing is huge in Vegas. And actually, I saw Floyd Mayweather at a pool party in Vegas, actually. Um, and that's a great segue because last week's story that I had on for you guys, the What the F News of last week, about Chris Brown and Mike Tyson and Soldier Boy and Floyd Mayweather and 50 Cent being the the promoter. Um, uh-oh, I just got knocked off the Wi-Fi network. Uh-oh. I can't use all my data. Let's see if it gets back on. Anyway, so 
I, I just want to play for you guys my interview now with uh, legendary Italian-American boxer Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Uh, he's great. You'll see. He's excited, excitable, <laughs> and uh, he's a great guy. So he and he has has played in the fought in the biggest fights in, in Las Vegas had to offer. So here's uh, myself, Daniel McCartan, and Ray Boom Boom Mancini. I'm Danielle McCartan at the Italian American Baseball launch party with a boxer, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Uh, you didn't say it the right way. That's, Perfecto. that's Perfecto. right. Um, all right. So my first question is, where did Boom Boom come from? Is it from the? My father was given that name. My father was a fighter in the 1930s and 1940s. He turned pro in 1937. He came to New York in 1939. His first fight was at the Broadway Arena on the corner of Broadway and Halsey here in Brooklyn. Yep. And the promoter, Max Joss, said to the reporter, look at this guy, does nothing but keep coming, throwing punches, boom, 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 all the time. The next day was Lenny Boom Boom Mancini. So you inherited it? Absolutely. <laughs> so and you're Boom Boom too. Yeah, yeah. But, but well, I have an older brother, older sister. My mother was Mrs. Boom Boom. Forever <laughs> just, it stuck with me and not them, you know. So, yeah. So my style, thank God my style was indicative of the name. Yeah, that's right. So Mancino in Italian means left-handed. Left-handed. Are you left-handed? Yeah, I am. Yeah, you are. I am. There you but go. Enough. So I said, Mancini, whenever I said on it, Mancini, Mano Mancino, si, Mano Mancino. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, listen, I, I was watching a couple of your fights on, you know, on YouTube, and I just couldn't help but, but realize. So you're fighting outside in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace, daytime. People are sitting in bleachers in the, in the crowd. But no, you watch boxing now. It's a pay-per-view, nighttime, showtime event. What do you think about that? How, well, how far it's evolved? Well, boxing is different. People always say, well, what, what, what does boxing have to do to get, get the same popularity it once had? Yeah. I said, we'll never have the same popularity without network television. Network television exposed me to over 60 million people domestically, over 100 million people worldwide. Right. Now, with pay-per-view, I think they say there's only a half a million homes capable of pay-per-view. And if you get a 2% buy rate, that's considered a success. That's like what? Like it's like a half million people. I mean, it's, it's your 30 million homes are capable. 2% buy rate is a half million people. That's that's it. So the visibility factor, you know, nobody knows it as well. Back when I was on network television, they always had the, the, the two to three weeks before the fight, the lead up with all the, the commercials and stuff. Now nobody, I, I'm a fight fan. I know the names. I can't tell you the fighters when they walk down the street though. So what are your thoughts, uh, you know, Vegas you know, was the stage for boxing for a long time. What do you think about them? Are they ready for a football team? They're ready for a football team? Yeah, the Raiders might be moving there. Yeah, that's what they're talking about. And, you know, it's funny, a couple years ago, somebody said about a football team going to Vegas. And, I, and my, my brother said, it'll never happen. And I said, it'll happen. And obviously it has. Yeah, yeah I think it's a good move. I mean, look, the town's been... It's, it's, of Las Vegas is at the forefront of many things now. It's a very progressive city. Why not a football team? Now, did you ever happen to meet or get to know Arturo Gatti? Arturo is a good friend of mine. Yeah. Very different. Matter of fact, he honored me and flattered me by saying, Ray, when I turned pro, you were who I wanted to be like. I was so honored by that. And I loved him. And I loved his style. He was so fan-friendly. And he was a wonderful person. I, I miss him dearly, yes. I got a chance to know him. So, the current boxing now, Mayweather-Pacquiao was pretty underwhelming, to say the least. To say the least. Would you like to see a rematch? No. Why? <laughs> Who cares? I said, hey, even when Pacquiao did tell me about first happening in 2009, I thought Mayweather beat him then. And that's when Pacquiao was walking out. Everybody said, oh, my God, how can you say it? I said, well, why would you say it? I said, because he's bigger, faster, stronger. Yeah. That's Bigger, faster, stronger, that's the trifecta of boxing. That's all you got to be. Pacquiao was great. 
fast. Mayweather's faster. Mayweather, you know, back up, you know, strong, he's stronger than Mayweather. My point being is, a good big man always been a good little man, and Mayweather's always bigger and stronger. Right. Now, what are your thoughts on UFC star Conor McGregor calling out Mayweather? Well, he's out of his mind. Look, <laughs> if you want to make it a, a UFC fight, you'll, you'll choke on May, Mayweather, that'll be it. Yeah. Well, it was just a pure boxing match, you'll get whacked out by Mayweather in one round. That's a done deal. Yeah. It's just stupid. Him as a champion should understand and have the respect for other champions and their and their genre. But Mayweather, I mean, you know, they're, they're both crazy, both goofy, you know, as they come. Yeah, so. hit too many times. Right. <laughs> now, who who is your favorite boxer to watch today? Today? Yeah. I'm a fan of the smaller weights. I love this kid, uh, Leo Santa Cruz. Even though he got beat for his title, he's coming back to fight for his title. I love Gennady Golovkin, uh, uh, Chocolatito uh, Gonzalez. You know. Those guys like that, the lighter weights that are action-packed, power from bottom are the best fighters in the world. So Chuck Latino and Gennady Golovkin are my are my Triple G are my two favorites. Italiano? Si, parla italiano un po'. Un po', okay. Un po'. Si, so, si, si, un po'. Un po'. Mi parla, mi, mi fa mi dare si gira. Quando parliamo con, in, in Italia, quando vado al uh, ristorante italiano, come parliamo con Camieri, lui dice, signor Mancini, tu non parli italiano, tu parli lingua di Sicilia, parli inglese. Che <laughs> vages, che vages. E quale città in Sicilia? Sicilia? Sì, il villaggio di Bagheria, il villaggio di Bagheria, il villaggio di Palermo. E sono in Sicilia 15 anni fa. 15 anni fa? Sì, da un long time since I've been back. So I'm Sicilia bed, Sicilia bed. But I, you know, adesso mi famiglia vive in Milano. Milano, a nord. Sì. Totalmente differente. Sì, sì. Tu sei nato a Natale e tu sei nato qua. E qui? Tu tuoi genitori? No, i miei nonni. Oh, no, no, sì. In Sicilia. Sicilia? Eh, Sicilia era pure, sì. Tutta in setta, Sicilia. Ok, and if we could do just a quick Italian thing speed round here, ok? Is it sauce or gravy? Sauce. Everybody said sauce. Right from sauce. Yes, good. All right. Would you rather ski in the Alps or swim in the Mediterranean? Swim in the Mediterranean. Uh, what's your favorite Italian tradition? <laughs> I think Christmas Eve, when they do the, the, the Italian foods. Now, it's funny, because in, in, in Italo Americano, we do the, the, the meatless dishes on Christmas Eve, right? We have the, the, the three, the polipo, and calimar, and different pastas. But in Italia, they eat all the meat. So it was, oh, that's an Italian tradition. No, it's Italo-American tradition, okay. but it's a beautiful tradition. Okay, a favorite gelato flavor? Oh, chocolate. Yeah, Tip, uh, type of pasta favorite? Capolini. Okay. Capolini scoglio. Aloio con gambare, vegetale, semplice. E qual è la tua città preferita in Italia? Sì, certo. Okay, Ferrari, Maserati, Lamborghini. Lamborghini. You're the only one who said that. Yeah, Lamborghini. <laughs> then all of them are, are the most cars you'll do, nobody needs, nobody wants. But you know, you got if you're gonna take one, Lamborghini. All right, and final one, Vino Rosso. Do you like Vino Rosso or Vino Bianco? No, no, Vino Rosso. So, you know, uh, Campagna di Vino. Mm -hmm. I have a, a yeah? wine company, my Vino de, de Napa. Oh, yeah. See, si, sono, sono, uh, sono um, Rosso. But, my next vintage will be a, a red and a white. 
uh, Moscato. I had a dry Moscato oh, a couple years ago. We did. I've been having my company since 2009. We just come out with round five. Round five, round, you know, by fifth vintage. So round six will be probably a, I came out with red, red blend right now. And the next one will probably be a, a Merlot or, or a Merlot cab blend. And then next one will be a Moscato. All right, so you are a wine guy. Oh, well, I am a wine guy. I've drinking wine a long time. Fairly knowledgeable, so, but it's all 100% uh, California wines. I would love to try some. You like it. Beaver and Lingeri. Nice, easy, semplice. Nice. Yeah. All right, well, I'm Daniel McCartan here with Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Oh, we're on camera! <laughs> Legendary Italian American boxer. I think this guy's great, so thank you. Thank you I hope you had a good time. My pleasure. Enjoy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great. That was great. Thank you. All right, so that was uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. As you can tell, he's a quite a character. I loved it. He was one of my, my best interviews. I loved him. I, I He's... It, oh, please. But um, he did say a couple good things. I mean... First of all, getting back to the Chris Brown and the, and the Soldier Boy fight, he did say something that I do want to write an article about this, that the big man, what do you say, a fast big man will beat a fast slow man anytime? I think that's what he said. So uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini, thank you for that. That was uh, at a, a Mint Pros event over in, uh, in at Carmine's in Brooklyn. Actually, he was there in support of the, um, the Italian national team uh, for the World Baseball Classic. So that was uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini and myself. So... That was cool. I, I, he, he was great. And, and check out his wine, too. And I think there's a film coming out about him, too. Just want to stir that up a little bit. And we'll, I'll have more information for you about that. Uh, so now the Cubs are, are going to visit the White House. Uh, this is my last show under President Obama's tenure. And the, club, the Cubs will be the last team to have a ceremonial visit to the White House. Uh, they're actually going to be going tomorrow, if I read that correctly. Um... And here, here's uh, myself talking with Joe Madden, their manager, really in, I think it was the first interview after they had won the World Series. Here he is. So, um, what is it going to be like going to the, uh, the White House? President Obama, everybody knows, is a White Sox fan. How's that for you? Well, I talked to him. He actually called me right after we had won, and I was in our apartment in uh, Chicago looking out the window, and I get a call from the president from Air Force One. And Crazy. we had a nice conversation, and he put it out there that is it possible, ask is it possible that we go there now before he's out of office? Right. So I talked to Theo about it. I don't even know where that's at right now or how that's going to happen. We have Cubs convention in the middle of uh, uh, January. That's an incredibly insane event in yeah. Chicago. That's the only time I know that all the guys would be there one time. You could jump okay. on a plane and go do something like that. Right. Uh, but it would be very, very fun to do. I've, I met uh, the president during the All-Star Game in 2009. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, via the phone conversation. So... Uh, going to the White House obviously is a pretty big treat. Yeah, does it come up Air Force One on the GPS? I mean, on the, on the call ID? It comes up unavailable. Oh, unavailable. So you get unavailable. Answer it. Answer. I don't answer those. Yeah, I, I normally don't. <laughs> that was uh, Joe Madden talking about the White House visit, and he was uh, spot on. It was exactly what he said it was going to happen. Cubs convention happened, I believe it was. Today is the last day of Cubs convention, if I'm not mistaken, and they will be going over to the White House tomorrow for their the, the visit. I'm wondering why they, they wanted to get this done with the inauguration being five days away, the inauguration of Trump. Hmm. I wonder why. <laughs> so why am I playing Jake Owens beachin' right now? So what about Vero Beach? Talking about Daytona, what about Vero Beach? Uh, we're going to trade this white sand 
for baseball diamond sand. Because Jake Owen Baseball Field is set to open this summer in Vero Beach. If you don't know who he is, Jake Owen is a very successful country artist. Uh, his best friend, here's how the story goes. His best friend, who is Kevin Harvick. You guys might know him as a NASCAR driver. He has teamed up, Kevin Harvick, with the Cal Ripken Senior Foundation to make this possible. Okay, so two foundations here. Uh, Kevin, this past week, just surprised Jake with this announcement at the, his foundation, at the Kevin Harvick Foundation's dinner, auction, and concert. And uh, Jake Owen, through his foundation, is quite active uh, with children's charities in the Vero Beach area, including with St. Jude's Research Hospital. And uh, he, Jake Owen is from Vero Beach, Florida, so uh, that's a little, little different news, but uh, all good. This is Brandon Marshall, wide receiver of the New York Jets, and you're listening to the 60-Minute Overtime on WRPR. Okay, so NFL playoffs. Listen, oh, oh, you know what? Before we get into NFL playoffs, I want to talk about this. Uh, I've had a, a very eventful morning, okay? Adam Schefter, uh, you guys know him as the NFL insider, the guru. He's got millions and millions of followers on Twitter, almost as much as that guy makes. He tweeted this morning that the NFL is considering, considering, for good, changing... NFL playoff games to the Sunday night football time slot. Now this comes off of, and I'll get into it a little bit later, but the Chiefs game, Chiefs-Steelers had to be postponed just a little bit. <laughs> uh, someone just said the, the Raiders are going to have lights on their helmets when they move to Vegas. Are we going to be able to see them from space too? Um, but the, the the Chiefs and and the Seahawks, the Chiefs and the Steelers tonight are gonna are moved to a later time. They're gonna be kicking off at eight thirty instead of one o'clock, uh, because there's apparently a very strong ice storm moving through the uh, the the Kansas City area right now. They're expecting uh, at least an inch or up to an inch of ice coating. Uh, so it's potentially dangerous for the fans and for the players involved. So they have uh, moved the game a couple hours later in order to aid in the cleanup and give more time for cleanup. Uh, but with that involved, and that's just a, a today instance. That's fine. But Adam Schefter now, these people must be talking at NFL headquarters in Manhattan now about moving the time slot from a 1 p what was supposed to be a 1 p.m. and a 4.30 p.m. playoff game slot. I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, I've been on here before. I say how I can't even stay up late and watch a Thursday night football game or a Monday night football game or now a regular Sunday night football game. What happens if my Jets finally make it to the playoffs? Do I have to choose between being productive at work for the rest of the week or watching the Jets in their first playoff game in, in how many years? This shouldn't be an option. Playoff games should have to be where everybody can see them. Everybody should be able to have access to them. Someone said you don't have to worry about the Jets making the playoffs. Well, yeah, I'm just saying. This is just, you know, a hypothetical situation. So I created an online petition. Because not only that, the NFL is trying to expand into, into Europe and everything, and they're not taking into consideration the fans. They, all they see is the money. So what, what good is this? What good is this going to do? So I created a petition. You guys can sign it. Um, it's going to be sent to Roger Goodell, 
if I get enough signatures on it, I promise you. Uh, the petition is called, uh, it's on change.org. I called it Roger Goodell, Stop NFL Sunday Night Football Playoff Games Before They Happen. Okay, so if you want to sign that petition, here's how. You go to either on Twitter, you can go to at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. There's a link right there. Or if you're on Facebook, you go to facebook.com slash Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. It's very important that they don't do this, and I'm going to tell you why. I've gotten a bunch of signatures already. And almost all of them have left comments. And I'm going to read you some of the comments. First of all, this guy, I want to give him a shout-out. At He's on Twitter, at MCScrewYou. No, not me. Not screw me. But he said that the world needs more people like me for doing this so fast. <laughs> so there's that. But uh, let's see. Dan Prusha from Northfield, Ohio, said, Just simply, I do not want playoff, Sunday Night Playoff games. We have uh, Eugene Lawrence in Springville, New York who says on my on my petition here, I live on the East Coast and like the current NFL playoff format, no Sunday night playoff games. Mike Farley, this has reached to Madison, Wisconsin already this morning. And by the way, I started this at 9.30 this morning. It's already got these comments, and it's causing a, a, a ruckus on social media, really. But someone said, I'm on Central Time, and the games go past 11 p.m. as it is. I can't imagine living on Eastern Time and going till midnight. But the worst part, is having to wait till 3.40 for the first game today. Yes, I agree. Uh, which is 4.40, our time. I don't want that becoming a yearly thing. You will alienate this fan a great deal, and I really do love football. Thanks, Mike, for that comment. Peter Nielsen from Denmark said, The Steelers-Chiefs game was bumped from 7 in the evening to 2.20 a.m. local time in Denmark. How am I supposed to stay awake? Right? The NFL is expanding over into... into Europe now, they want to do this international series. They've been to London. What about the people in London? How do they feel? Uh, let's see. Jane Gastineau, who I've met at Eric Decker's Pro Camp. Hi, Jane. Uh, she said, at this point in the season, all games should be available for all viewers to watch in their entirety. 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time is too late for the East Coast. That's a kickoff time, 8.30 p.m. I'm in bed by 8.30 p.m. So uh, someone in Pittsburgh, Richard Soder, Soder, hope I'm pronouncing that right, said it from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he said, quite simply, I like to watch football when I am awake. I think we all do. So I think we all need to get onto this and, and start get onto my petition here. So again, it's if you want to sign it, it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N and on Facebook.com slash Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Someone said the games would have to start at 8 a.m. for everyone to see it. Why not? They start the, the London games at that time in the morning. And we're talking East Coast time. But they've changed that, too. What are they trying to do? Accommodate the West Coast for some reason? The International Series, we used to wake up on the East Coast at 8.30 and, and wake up and watch football. Now we have to compete. The London game is going to be in a regular time slot, a 1 p.m. or a 4.30 p.m. time slot. It doesn't make any sense to me. Oh my god, someone said Monday Night Football used to kick off at 9.15 Eastern Time when it was on ABC. Oh my god. I can't even imagine that. I mean, that's ridiculous. And, and, and even last night's game, the, the Patriots and the Patriots and the Texans game, that game ended late too, and that was a Saturday night. 
Listen, I don't mind. What I also think that the, the Super Bowl should be moved to a Saturday night game. Super Bowl should be moved to a Saturday night game. Don't you think? Because at least at least the kickoff though is at like six or six thirty p.m. for that. Uh, but I mean, the Patriots game was was way late last night, and no one had to come to work to, on Sunday. Well, mostly nobody. <laughs> Not like it's a regular work day like a Monday. And I guess unless you're a Patriots faithful, you know you're gonna have to you're gonna have to stay up for it. A Texans faithful, well, you're gonna stay up and watch it. Someone said uh, the Monday after the Super Bowl should be a holiday. I think it should be. But years back, I believe years back, the Super Bowl used to be on a Saturday. I believe years back when it was first getting going and this and that, and then they moved it to Sunday for some reason. And I'm not really sure why they moved it to Sunday for that reason, or whatever reason it was. Now, people are staying up, and, and you know what goes along with football Sunday. Super Bowl football Sunday. I mean, come on. And they expect people to go to work the next day? With all these parties and everything going on? So, no, I, I definitely disagree with Thursday night football. First of all, if we're going to keep Thursday night football, it shouldn't start so late. That's first off. If we're going to keep Monday Night Football, it shouldn't start till late. And now, to move a playoff game from a 1 p.m. slot to an 8.30 slot, in my opinion, is just ludicrous. Someone said, and they shouldn't have those awful uniforms. I'm not sure what team you're talking about. Let's recall what Richard Sherman said about Thursday Night Football. Yeah, get rid of it. Just get rid of it. And those awful color rush, yeah, the color rush uniforms are just awful. Except for, though, except for that Giants one was pretty cool. I like the Giants one. It had the Giants on the side of the helmet, metallic helmet. I think they should keep that. So, uh, Joe Skiba, if you're listening, keep it. <laughs> so, Seattle blinded me, someone said. Seattle blinded you? In, in, in which way? We're going to get into uh, football playoffs in, in uh, one second here. So... Uh, I guess we can go with, uh, let's go with the Patriot game first. Highliner uniforms. Yeah, when you have the red versus the yellow, the Bills and the, and the Redskins are, are playing each other. Imagine that. That'd be, that'd be crazy. Uh, let, all right, let's get into it. So let's talk about a little bit of analysis here. Let's talk about, uh, let's, since we just mentioned it, last night's game. January 14th, uh, last night, 8.15 p.m., the Houston Tex Texans kicked off against the New England Patriots. Texans were the four seed. Patriots were the one seed, obviously, uh, and and that game was at 8:15 last night uh, in New England. Obviously, and someone said I have a theory about that game. Well, what is your theory about that game? Let's see. So Devin McCourty, I spoke to him over the summer, and and he is the defensive captain for the New England Patriots, and this is what he had to say about this season's goals. So win as many games as we can. Uh, clearly, that has been the game plan across the, the nation over there in New England. Uh, that has been their motto. Do your job. Win as many games as we can. And on the phone right now, let's welcome in Chris Villani. He's the radio host for WEEI in Boston and ESPN Radio. Uh, let's welcome him to 60-Minute Overtime take a more in-depth, we'll say native, perspective on the Texans-Patriots game. Chris, how you doing? 
Good, good. Okay, so let's just get into this. The Patriots opened up with the third largest point spread in playoff history over the Texans. But through halftime, it was 17-13. Were you a little nervous? Well, I think everybody in New England uh, was. I mean, if you look at the final score of this game, if you were uh, on a flight or something, and, and you just you know, landed in and took a look at the score, you'd say, yeah, that sounds about right. They won by 18. Uh, they covered that spread, uh, mm-hmm. that, that 15 or 16 point spread, depending on where you looked. And mm-hmm. you said, well, that's, uh, that's not what you expected. But this game was very unpatriot-like. And I think if you listen to what most of the guys had to say after the game, check on down, they weren't happy with that performance. They had a, a bad penalty by Eric Rowe that extended a Texans drive and kept Tom Brady on the sideline an additional five minutes. He had two interceptions uh, from Brady, a fumble. It, it was just a very uncharacteristic uh, game for this team. Now, they were all kind of saying the, the same thing, that hey, rather win ugly than lose prettier, as Martellus Bennett uh, put it, mm-hmm. ugly date is better than no date. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that this team knows that better going forward uh, if it's going to be a Super Bowl champion and not just back in the AFC championship game, which they've been now six games, uh, six games in a row in the AFC title game, and I don't think that uh, accomplishment should just be uh, swept aside, but it is sort of a path for the Patriots, and, and obviously the bar is set higher. Now for me, the, the, what I was watching, the matchup of the game, I, I mean, I'm a Jet fan, the Achilles heel of the Patriots offense seems to be Brady under pressure, and I, some stats I had looked up, I mean, when through the Jets-Patriots uh, couple last uh, meetings, they forced Brady into a basically an average, probably about 50% completion rating, just a couple games I picked out, uh, two interceptions, one interception. So it seemed to be that the Houston Texans kind of had that mentality coming into the game. I mean, Brady threw a total two or three interceptions. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that matchup of the game? Well, anytime Brady's been under pressure, um, particularly the teams that be pressure with their front. Right. And one consistent way to beat Brady is pressure with three or four, be able to drop seven or eight back into coverage. Right. Let's face it, that formula is going to get the better of most quarterbacks, um, especially a quarterback who, although he's more mobile now than I think he was five <laughs> or ten years ago, yeah. uh, he's not the most mobile quarterback. But I, I think Whitney Merkel one of the best, if not the best, defensive player uh, that the, the Patriots have seen all year. He had a big sack in the second quarter. He was getting pressure consistently up the middle. Uh, forcing Brady off the spot. Uh, that second quarter stack was, was a thing of beauty. I mean, he just came flying through the middle, uh, went off the block like uh, the block wasn't even there, and then just wrapped up Brady, uh, took the Patriots right out of field goal range. So yeah. that was a huge play. You've also got Jadeveon Clowney there, who had uh, a couple of quarterback hits, had a tackle for a loss. He was in the backfield a ton. So yeah. I, I think a lot of credit has to go to the Texans defensive front, for sure. The Patriots offensive line has been better throughout the course of the Season. They got Dante Scarnecchia back uh, coaching the offensive line, which I think was big in terms of their uh, stability. But they didn't have a great night last night. But look, nobody really had a great night last night from the Patriots' perspective. I mean, even Deion Lewis, who was the first player yeah. in NFL history to return a kick, yeah. catch a, a touchdown pass, and, and run for a touchdown, mm-hmm. he even coughed it up, and, and that led to points. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think a lot of credit, though, goes to uh, that, that run, especially first. Now, what matchups were you uh, watching, getting into this game, paying most attention to? Yeah, I, I think that was a big one, uh, uh, obviously. I was curious to see, um, you know, how the Patriots would, would use their running backs, uh, mm-hmm. how much they'd be able to run the football in general against this uh, very stout defensive front. And I think you saw, again, Houston's ability to stop the run. That's one of the consistent things that Houston's done all season long. Right. So uh, that was definitely something uh, that I was looking at. And all season, even though the Patriots' defense has been one of the 
top two, three, four, depending on the time of the year, uh, defenses in terms of points allowed, sometimes number one in terms of points allowed. This has been a defense that I don't think a lot of people have been uh, fully confident in to make that quote-unquote one big stop when you need um, the offense is, is maybe not uh, converting the way you'd like, you need that one big stop to get off the field. You know, would they be able to do it? I, I think all in all they had a solid game last night. Uh, obviously, turn the ball over and give it to a team at the 12-yard line, you're not exactly putting your defense in a great spot like yeah. you know, what happened in the first half. You know, that said, it's Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. He was benched three weeks ago. So you sort of take it with a grain of salt. I think if the Pittsburgh Steelers come in here next weekend, uh, they're able to win today, you're looking at a much, much different set of circumstances. So I, I still think that defense, uh, as well as they have played in the second half of the year, is going to be what has Patriots fans kind of holding their breath uh, into next week, and if they win, uh, going to the Super Bowl. Right, so, you know, 19 rushing yards in the first half for LeGarrette Blunt, and then what changed at halftime to get him more involved? Well, you know, I, I think just their ability to open things up, throwing the ball. I mean, Brady wasn't great in the first half either. A lot of it goes back to the pressure, um, you know, that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But it, the ability, I think, of the Patriots to mix in different rushers, you know, to mix in Deion Lewis a bit, to have different guys who, um, can at least keep defenses honest. He's big. Once had a terrific season, uh, easily his best as a pro. Uh, I think he's been at the league level running back this year. Um, really only Ezekiel Elliott, David Johnson, uh, maybe Le'Veon Bell. Uh, you take ahead of him for production this season. But uh, coming in, they knew that running the football was going to be a challenge. That's one of the things that Houston uh, is known for. That defensive front is good. Stevion Clowney, as, as much as he's in the backfield fit uh, last night, He's a run-stopper. That, that's what he is. He's one of the best run-stoppers in the NFL. So I, I think that was a big part of it in the first half. And in the second half, they were just able to open up things a little bit more in general. Uh, Houston didn't have as long uh, of, uh, you know, in terms of time of possession. They were trying to throw the ball a little bit more from behind. So just the ability to uh, possess the football a little bit more, I think, helped as well. Now, uh, since he's a very, very local guy from Wyckoff, New Jersey, what has been the impact of wide receiver Chris Hogan this season? A uh, nice find uh, for the for the Patriots in terms of the depth uh, addition. You know, he's a guy who, uh, at the beginning of the season, and this happens, it seems like, every year, there's one or two guys that are picked up that uh, don't necessarily have to be a focal point of the offense, but they're guys that can just add maybe extra elements to the, the Patriots' passing attack, and it all depends on how quickly they're able to get on the, the same page with Tom Brady. Some have been successful. Uh, some, you think, you know, Chad Johnson or Ocho Cinco, whatever he was going by at the time, uh, have not been so successful. So it definitely worked both ways. He's been a consistent starter this year. Um, 30 or 40 catches, something along those lines, about 700 yards. He has been uh, just another really solid depth option. Uh, obviously, Julian Edelman is that top target. He's the guy that Tom Brady looks for uh, more than anybody else, uh, including Rob Gronkowski when Rob Gronkowski is healthy. But uh, Chris Hogan has been uh, consistent. He's been healthy for the most part. He's been able to uh, start just about every game uh, for the Patriots when he's, uh, you know, when he's been healthy. And and uh, he, along with um, towards the end of the season, Michael Floyd, that late uh, addition, Malcolm Mitchell, a rookie uh, who has uh, really stepped up, or a young guy who has really stepped up uh, in the second half of the year. These are the types of guys who have uh, really added, I think, more depth to that Patriots offense. And that's the reason why, and Hogan's a big part of this, 
why they're able to continue uh, to be so effective offensively without Rob Gronkowski. I mean, we'll see, for example, what the Packers look like today without Jordy Nelson. I know last year uh, when Rodgers didn't have Jordy Nelson for a long stretch, it wasn't pretty. So why can the Patriots sustain? Why can they keep pushing without a weapon like Gronk? Well, a big reason is guys like Chris Hogan and the depth. And, and these guys are guys that know their role. They are role players, so that's cool. So um, many are considering Bill Belichick as the greatest coach of all time across all sports. I'm sure you're going to agree, but does it matter that he lost twice in the Super Bowl to <clears throat> the Giants? I don't know. I don't know if I – I mean, is he the greatest coach in the history of Boston sports? He's not the winningest coach in the history of Boston sports, but he's yeah. not close. I mean, that's red. Um, he won a, a lot more with Celtics back in the 60s. Five football minds of all time, and, and people have this debate. And Patriots fans are a prickly bunch. I mean, if you don't give Brady the credit of being the best overall quarterback, Belichick the credit of being the number one coach of all time, uh, they get very defensive and circle the wagons. But look, Lombardi's got the trophy named after him for a reason. Paul Brown basically invented the modern game of football that we all watch now. Um, you know, Bill Walsh revolutionized offense. You give me any one of those guys, and you could certainly name a couple more, uh, I'd say fine. You know, I'm, I'm fine at, at coach, and we'll worry about what kind of talent we can put around him. As far as losing in the Super Bowl a couple of times, he got to the Super Bowl a couple of times. And people look at a guy, let's say Chuck Noll. Chuck Noll's a great coach. Had a phenomenal dynasty, four Super Bowls in six years, uh, an incredible run. He coached for another 10 years. People make it seem like he stopped coaching after 1981. He coached another 10 years, never sniffed another Super Bowl. Um, I'd rather get to, from a fan's perspective, I'd rather get to the Super Bowl and lose than get bounced in the divisional round and not make the playoffs. Tom Landry, Hall of Fame coach, phenomenal coach, and had a great quarterback as well. Had seven one-and-dones in seasons where his team won double-digit games, and that was back when they played 14 games. So it's not to, to smear those guys because they're all-time greats, but having that sustained success and the, the razor-thin margin between success and failure when it comes to actually winning a championship, uh, it's not something that can be overlooked. So, look, those two games are going to put Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think he's going to Canton, and, and those two games are a big part of his legacy. Uh, beating uh, the you know preeminent dynasty of uh, of the 2000s, but Belichick is is right there in that conversation for the best football mind. No, yeah, I definitely agree with that. So now, just before I let you go, the Patriots. I mean, they're the one seed. They had the pretty much easiest route through the playoffs because I don't even think the we we can get into this, but the Texans should have even made the playoffs. But uh, the Patriots had the easiest route to the Super Bowl. Can they win it? It's going to be either the Chiefs or the Steelers. Can they get to and win the Super Bowl? Yeah, of course. Uh, I think they absolutely can. Look, this is uh, been the best team in football right along with the Cowboys all season long. Um, I, I think they will be and should be favored no matter who wins. I mean, just from a you know Patriots perspective, and, and really people look different on this. You know, would you rather see the Chiefs? Mm-hmm. Would you rather see the Steelers? I was just going to ask you that.
here, I guess you could use the word Alex Smith as much as Ben Roethlisberger, and I just have tremendous confidence that if it does get close and the rubber meets the road, Andy Reid's going to screw it up somehow. Uh, I'll take Belichick over Andy Reid going back to the coaching conversation. Mm-hmm. So, yes, this is a team that can win the Super Bowl. Uh, if they don't, it's going to be a big disappointment, and they are healthier. I mean, the loss of Brock is huge, but they are healthier than really any point I, I can remember in recent history going into the postseason. They have four guys on injured reserve. Yeah, one of them is Ron Belkloss, Sebastian Ballmer before the beginning of the season. They had 15 guys on IR last year. So this is a team that is healthy. This is a team that is playing pretty well last night, notwithstanding, uh, and I think a team that absolutely can get a fifth Lombardi. Well, all right. So, I mean, is there anything else you want to add to this conversation here? No, I think uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. I'm looking forward to a couple of good games. Really excited for that, uh, that Green Bay Dallas game. That'll be interesting to yeah. see Zach Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott uh, respond against uh, Rodgers. He just looks like a guy who's on a, on a mission right now. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I like the Packers in this game today. Me too. Yeah. All right, great. So, um, and and just so you know, I have a, a little. I'm a Jet fan, but I have a little soft spot because uh, <laughs> because I do uh, a lot of work with uh, Devin McCourty over here in New Jersey. So uh, from Rutgers, so I do have yeah, a little Devin soft spot is, for him. Devin is great. He and his brothers do. Uh, his brother has do a lot of uh, a lot of great charity work. Yeah. And uh, really great uh, ambassadors in the NFL in general, not just uh, Devin here in New England. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm rooting for the, the Patriots in a way, <laughs> in an individual way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, Chris Villani, thank you so much for coming on. I'd love to have you on again, you know, as the Patriots inch closer to the Super Bowl. Absolutely, anytime. Happy to do it. All right, thank you. All right, so that was Chris Villani from WEEI Sports in Boston. He's uh, he's a bigwig over there on ESPN Radio over there, and he hit, hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. Patriots are uh, an unstoppable machine. Uh, they probably will make the Super Bowl, yep. And uh, what scares you? He said Chiefs. He would rather have the Chiefs because of Big Ben. Um, I don't know. I think I'd rather have the Steelers if I were the Patriots because uh, the Steelers' defense isn't as good as the Chiefs' defense, especially with the front f- the front couple, uh, especially in the pressure. Would Tamba Hali can create the, the havoc they can create in the backfield for uh, for Tom Brady. So um, I'm going to differ differ with you on that. I, I do think that this you would want the Steelers, but either either way, I mean, you're talking about Tom Brady and the offense. I mean, either way, and he was doing Tom Brady last night was doing his best Aaron Rodgers impression. He was getting you know at points uh, it was just inconsistent. The pass rush pass rush was inconsistent. At one point, he was getting towards the end of the game, the second half time in the pocket that he was pointing down the field, pointing, pointing. And we all know when Aaron Rodgers starts pointing, you know, the game is, is somewhat out of reach. It's going to get out of hand. Uh, someone said, "Are you mean getting up and complaining at the refs. That is one qualm I do have about uh, Tom Brady and the gang is that uh, let the referees be referees. They're letting you be players. You just leave them alone and let them do their job. That's the one, one qualm I do have, and I've been on record saying that. If Not just about the Patriots. Anybody. Anybody. Yeah, and the very next play they called it. Yeah, I was watching that. Um, yeah, uh, I believe they called a, a pass interference call, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he did get a roughing the passer call as well. And I, But I was listening on the radio. I couldn't see that one. But, you know, in the NFL, just not the Patriots, not Tom Brady, in the NFL, you have should be letting the referees do their job as long as you do your job. And you shouldn't be worried about how they can uh, manipulate the game that way. I just don't think, I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's professional. 
And I've been on record saying that's going for Tom Brady, that's going for Odell Beckham Jr., that's going for, for anybody. Brandon Marshall, because he's very vocal. Uh, you know, and that's just that. You just let them do their job, and that's it. So that was the uh, the night game last night, the January 14th uh, last night's night game. If we could backtrack a little bit. So I just saw a stat where the most reputable quarterbacks get the most calls for them. Really? Well, I guess you can look at Cam Newton, who always complains he doesn't get calls. And also, you should really look at the size of quarterbacks, too, because the bigger guys, you know, they get hit. But it doesn't look as bad as if you're a smaller guy. For example, if you look at Ben Roethlisberger or, or Cam Newton or Brock Osweiler, the biggest quarterbacks playing, basically, a hit on them doesn't look as bad as a hit on, we'll say, Alex Smith or Drew Brees. Those hits look a lot worse. Um, and we would have to look at that, that stat and to see, uh, it, do the bigger guys get less calls than the littler guys? Someone said, I, sometimes I feel like Tom Brady plays for the New England Revolution, how much he whines. Touch Breeze or Rogers or Brady and you're, you're going to get called. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Okay, so let's just backtrack a little bit to the day game. I know I have a Falcons fan on here that's been wanting and to hear about the Falcons game and, and analysis about that. Uh, I do have Eric Coleman. I interviewed him this morning because he's uh, on Sirius XM starting about three minutes ago. Uh, the, my analysis, our analysis from the January 14th, the 435 kickoff, the Seattle Seahawks third seed at the Atlanta Falcons at the Georgia Dome, the, the number two seed. Um, the Falcons were six-point favorites in this game as of 10 a.m. yesterday. Uh, and that's important. That's a touchdown. And they ended up, oh, and by the way, the final score of the Patriots game was, uh, let me look, 34-16, uh, and they did cover the point spread. Oh, and, and I'd just like to talk about, uh, let me play this for you from Devin McCourty real quick about the Patriots defense being so good yet so untalked about. Here's what he had to say. The defensive captain, Devin McCourty. In the postseason, you guys being pretty far, a lot of emphasis was placed on the offense. Nothing really spoken about the defense. Did that force you guys to play harder? We got Tom Brady. I mean, <laughs> if you ask me if I'm going to talk about defense or Tom Brady, I'm talking about Tom Brady. I'm talking about Rob Gronkowski. So, uh, I think it's a little bit of a myth that I think people think we read, you know, headlines. And we don't care about that stuff. We want to win the Super Bowl. So, uh, that's what motivated us, trying to get back in and win it. And that was from February 20, 2016. So going to back and get one next year, which is right now. They're well on their way as the number one seed in the AFC. So let's go to NFC action. The Seattle Seahawks at the Atlanta Falcons. Again, the Falcons were six-point favorites as of 10 a.m. yesterday morning. Kickoff, obviously, this is Eastern time now. <laughs> Kickoff was at 4.35 p.m. Eastern. And uh, here's my interview uh, with Eric Coleman. He was He's great. He's uh, an NFL analyst on Sirius XM right now. Uh, he also had played for, and this is kind of why I, I hit him up on social media to, to be a, a part of this, of my show, 16 Minute Overtime, is because he not only is an NFL analyst and has great opinions about and outlooks on, on things, and he's with SiriusXM, he's with SNY, um, but he, he, was a, he was a Falcon, and he did play with Matty Ice, Matt Ryan, so here's uh, my interview from this morning with uh, Eric Coleman, former NFL safety and current Sirius XM analyst. 
and SNY, New York TV analyst. Let's welcome Eric Coleman, former NFL safety and current Sirius XM analyst, to 60 Minute Overtime to take a more in-depth look at the Falcons-Seahawks game. So, Eric, as, as a former Falcon, I'm sure you had a little extra interest in last night's game, no? Oh, yeah, I was very excited for the game. You know, I'm, I'm from Washington State, so most of my friends are, are Seahawks fans, and, you know, they don't really, they don't realize my alliance to the Falcons. You know, I played uh, three very, very good years above the organization, so, and Matt Ryan was my quarterback, so I put together a great win. It, it was definitely exciting. You can feel the image from even at home. <laughs> You were also a Detroit Lion and, and started with our hometown New York Jets, and that's how I always think of you. But uh, you were number 26 on the Falcons, and there's a guy, Trevin Coleman, who's the running back, the current running back, also 26. Same last name. Is that weird? It's very weird. You know, I, I, watch, I, you know, I watch him play, and you know, he's, he's a little bit bigger than I was. You know, we both have similar builds. He's a little bigger, but um, it, it's very confusing sometimes. And you know, every once in a while, my, you know, my wife will get confused, or you know, a fan will send me a picture of him and say that, it, you know, think that it's me or something like that. So I'm sure he gets that a lot, but uh, he, he really does a phenomenal job of running the football, uh, getting north and south, and he really making a name for himself. Now, there's no relation, right? Not that I know of. You know, I, I, I'm sure down the line we're probably related, but, uh, but not that I know of. I don't know him personally. Okay, so let's get into it. So last night the Seahawks, they score early. They score early. The Falcons show no panic. What's the word on the sideline when something like this happens, if you're the Falcons? Well, you just have to keep your composure. You know, you, you, you took their best shot. You, you know that going into the week, uh, the offensive coordinator usually puts down a 15-play um, opening drive, you know, where, where you know, they have, they have the, the plays called no matter what is going on. Based on the scheme of your defense, based on the, your tendencies and what you've done, they create the, the 15 best plays for their offense. And, um, you know, the Seahawks went down, I believe it was 14 plays, took eight minutes off the clock, did a great job of, of driving down the field and scoring a touchdown. Um, Kyle Shanahan put together a great game plan as well, you know, because they went 12 plays, you know, with seven minutes right down the field. You know, Matt Ryan um, just really showed his composure. You know, they, they call him Matty Ice for a reason. You know, he has ice water in his veins, and he stays composed in pressure situations and, and really did a great job yesterday of distributing the ball to all of his playmakers and, and, and running his offense. Now you talked a little bit about the scheming and stuff. Uh, there was no panic, and it resulted in a nicely drawn-up touchdown throw to Julio Jones. Uh, it was beautiful, actually. So he had Richard Sherman's number all night long, basically, and how were the Falcons able to attack him so successfully, being the great player that he is? Well, you know, what people have to realize is the Seahawks play a lot of zone defense. So although Richard Sherman may have been the guy mm -hmm. um, tackling Julio Jones, he may not have been the, playing man-to-man -man coverage on him. Right. But um, but Shanahan did a good job of putting Julio in stacked, stacked position, meaning that there's a receiver right in front of him and uh, Julio Jones lined up behind the receiver. So it didn't allow... Richard Sherman to get his hands on him. Right. So, so that put him at an advantage right away. And, you know, I, I, th I thought it was a great game plan by Shanahan. Uh, Matt Ryan did a good job of finding him. Uh, I thought that touchdown that he caught was a penalty. But, you know, if yeah. they don't call it, then it's no penalty. The pick uh, play, and, and right? I thought it was ultimately a, a good good play call. Yeah, that, that pick play, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there, uh, Muhammad Sanu was blocking yeah. the corner before the ball was even in the air. So, you know, that's offensive pass interference. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so much has been talked about Matt Ryan, his offense, but the Falcons had in the first half, I was watching, some major defensive stops. I mean, mm -hmm. they held the Seahawks to a field goal. They sacked the quarterback for a safety. 
And what does that do at, to the psyche of an offense when that, something like that happens in quick succession? It, I mean, you know, to the defense, it just it just gives you a bunch of confidence. You know, the, and you bounce and you play off one another on offense and defense. When you see your offense driving down the field with confidence, it gives you as a defense uh, that confidence that all we have to do is get the ball back to our offense and they're going to put up points. But, you know, I think after that first drive, Atlanta's defense kind of calmed down. You know, they, they, they thought to themselves, you know, we're not going to give up any big plays. We're going to stop the run, and, and we're going to get off the field. And they did a great job. I thought Jonathan Babineau did a great job of, of getting penetration up the middle. Uh, the linebackers did a, a fairly good job in, in coverage. And the secondary was was lights out. The safety play was great uh, yeah. by Atlanta. And it was just, a, just an overall team effort by the Falcons. Now, would you say that the turning point of the game would be when Wilson tripped for the safety? Yeah, that definitely took some of the wind out of Seattle sails. Yeah. You know, I, I, I actually thought that when Devin Hester had the big punt return, yep. that got called back. You know, he returned it inside the 10-yard line, mm-hmm. and with the hole, you know, the Seahawks get the ball back inside their own 10. Mm-hmm. So that that was tough. You know, that kind of took the wind out of their sails. They had some momentum going. And in the playoffs, you have to make big plays on special teams. You have to get a turnover, something to, to change the flow of the game, especially against the offense as good as the Falcons. Right. Now, actually, that hold led to about five points, if you look at it, because it led to the, the safety, and then it led to the field goal on the on the kickoff after the safety. So that was a huge holding call. Yeah, and it was, it was totally unnecessary as yeah. well. You know, it was at the beginning of the play. Yep. Uh, really unfortunate. Now, uh, running back Devontae Freeman led the Falcons in receiving, believe it or not. He had four receptions for 80 yards. Was the Seahawks defense caught unprepared for him in that capacity? Well, I don't think they were unprepared. You know, I just think that he creates such a, a, a tough matchup. And, and you have to remember, Earl Thomas isn't back there. You know, typically Earl Thomas is there, and he's, make, he's, getting, he's getting Freeman down, you know, for, for mm-hmm. a, probably a 12-yard gain instead of the explosive play that he got when he hit that angle route mm-hmm. when he was lined up against Cliff Averill. So I think Atlanta did a good job of taking advantage of the scheme. You know, they caught, they caught uh, the Seahawks in his own blitz. Um, Cliff Averill was covering Devontae Freeman in the open field, and, you know, that's a mismatch. I'm sure they'll take every play. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, um, just because he's a local guy, what is Rutgers product Mohamed Sanu added to the, the uh, Falcons offense? Well, I mean, he, he's obviously big. He's strong. He does a great job of blocking in the run game, but he's a big target, you know, um, he makes it so to where Matt Ryan is able to balance the offense. You know, you, yes, of course, you're going to double-team Julio Jones, but he, Mohamed Sanu can make you pay as well on the other side. So uh, he just gives the offense some more versatility, uh, some toughness, and just just a lot of attitude that he brings to to the, the offense. Now, 30, the Falcons are averaging 33.8 points per game. They scored 36 last night. How can anyone moving forward stop this uh, explosive offense. Well, I think the Seahawks had it right in, in the first drive. You know, they ran the football. Right. Uh, you know, you have to keep the ball out of their hands. You know, um, tr- try to limit the explosive plays that they make. Uh, run the ball, keep it out of their hands, and, and try to control it that way. Uh, you're going to have to try. You're going to have to get a, a turnover, a big play on special teams to try to top Atlanta because I mean the way they're putting up points uh, is going to be whoever team has the ball last kind of situation if you're able to score on offense. So um, you're you going to have to find a way other than other than offense to put points on the board. Now, moving forward, we got to watch the games today, but moving forward, the Falcons will either get the Packers or the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Could you break down which would be a better matchup, like personnel-wise, for the Falcons? Oh, a better matchup for the Falcons? Yeah. Um, 
Did I you... mean, I, I would have to say that I would have to say it would be the Packers. Yeah. You I know, agree. Uh, Matt Ryan's able to put up points, yep. you know, with Aaron Rodgers. Um, the Cowboys just, just create a tough matchup for anyone, you know, with the size and strength of their offensive line running the football. I mean, they can do exactly what I just said to the Falcons. They right. can run the ball. They can methodically uh, make mm-hmm. drives and, and keep the ball out of Matt Ryan's hands. And, and, and that's the, the, the true way to stop him. Um, defensively, I think they have, you know, some good players in the secondary. Uh, I think Orlando Skandrick is, is playing good football in the slot. And, you know, they, they created some tough matchups. So I think if you're the Falcons, you, you want to play – the Green Bay Packers, although Aaron Rodgers is hot, uh, although, you know, in 2011, he did come through and scorch us when I, when I played in Atlanta in mm-hmm. uh, route to the Super Bowl. Uh-huh. But, um, but, but I think that it would give the Atlanta Falcons confidence because they'd be playing at home as well. That's a huge advantage for them. Of course. And, and that's a huge, what is it like playing in that, in that facility in a, as a home field <laughs> advantage? Oh, it was great. You know, the Georgia Dome, you know, in the playoff atmosphere, it gets, it gets rowdy. Uh, you know, the, the crowd is, is participating. They, you know, they do a great job of um, of really getting involved in the game and creating an advantage for the defense. And, you know, it's, it's definitely an advantage when the offense, of the, the team that you're playing, their offense can't communicate to each other and forces them to make hand signals and just get out of their comfort zone. It really helps. Right. Now, you know, a lot of it has been talked about. Um, I just thought of this question. Playoff time versus regular time. How does like the environment of the team change when it they do enter what's considered playoff time? Oh, I mean the intensity just really steps up. Um, you know, it, it's it's an even bigger jump from preseason to regular season. Uh, I mean, every play counts, every single yard counts. So you're fighting for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone's watching. You know, it's it's. I mean, I I, I wish words couldn't describe the. The, the environment, you know, it's just so intense. You know, everything counts, and um, you, you know, if you lose, if you give up a big play, you, you lose that game, then you're going home. So it, it's definitely a tough situation. Now, leading up to it, too, practices are intensified, meetings, everybody's yeah. paying attention. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no need for pep talks when the playoffs come. Right. You know, our practice, you know, still isn't as intense, you know, because it's the end of the season. It's been such a long year. Right. But mentally, when you're preparing, you know, everyone's locked in. They're focused. They're, they're watching extra film. They're looking for tendencies. They're trying to get that edge to, to make that play that helps their team win and advance to the next round. Now, and final question here. In his sixth consecutive season with 4,000-plus yards, is Matt Ryan the NFL's MVP? I believe so. You know, you know, he put together a phenomenal year. I mean, during the regular season, he threw touchdowns to thirteen different receivers. Yeah, you, know, you don't, you cool. don't see, you know, yeah. quarterbacks doing that. You know, yeah. usually they lean on one or two guys. Yeah. But he, I mean, he's just done a fantastic job of, of running that offense. He's been efficient with the football, not throwing any interceptions. And you know, I, I really think that he sealed his case as, as MVP last night. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He, he's he, actually I looked up I looked him up a little more information about him. We share the same birthday, so now I'm definitely rooting nice. for him. <laughs> All right. He's a great guy. He did, you know he does a lot of great things in the community. Very good person. You know, humble as they come, and, and just a really a great teammate. Yeah, I like him even more now. So uh, you know, Eric, where can people hear, see, find you, and, and contact you? And go ahead, shout out all your stuff. All right, well, I'll be on uh, I'll be on Sirius XM NFL Radio uh, this uh, Sunday from from noon to four Eastern Standard Time. Um, also, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at, at Eric Coleman. That's Eric with a K. Eric Coleman. Um, yeah, I'm on SNY. I cover the Jets. 
you know, during the, during the season and, and just trying to continue to grow as a broadcaster yeah, we'll, like yourself. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Jets at a, at a different time. That's going to be a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah, we need a whole show for that Yeah, one. exactly. All right, Eric, I just I thank you for coming on. I know you're busy today, and, and I, I very much appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. By the way, the, uh, the Falcons, entering play yesterday, the Falcons' all-time playoff record was 7-12, and 12, whereas the Seahawks were 8-3. and three. Now, so now the Falcons are eight and twelve, and the Seahawks are eight and four. Uh, the final score of that game was thirty-six to twenty. Falcons over the Seahawks. It was uh, pretty much like a non-game. Like after after uh, after halftime, someone said the past doesn't matter. One game at a time, of course. Now the Falcons are one win away from making their second ever Super Bowl appearance, and they still haven't won one. So when you you're a Jet fan. At least, at least the Jets have won one Super Bowl. Uh, so the Falcons are one win away from making it there, and they have to uh, go through. Go through. Let's go. Uh, now let's go chronologically. So the first game today, the, the one o'clock. No, actually, that was moved to eight thirty. So let's go with this one. So the four forty p.m. game today, Falcons have to run through to get to the Super Bowl. Either the Green Bay Packers, the fourth seed. Or the Dallas Cowboys, the first seed. That game's going to be on Fox at 440. Cowboys are led by rookies, quarterback Dak Prescott, and running back Ezekiel Elliott. They've been great. They really have. But in my opinion, Aaron Rodgers and his experience are going to be too much for the Dallas Cowboys to handle. Now, my number one qualm with this game, I don't know if it's true, but I'm sure it is, is Troy Aikman doing the game with Joe Buck. I can't listen to that guy do a Cowboys game, broadcast a, a Cowboys game. How is that, like, allowed? I can't listen to him. He's so biased. And when he when he talks about the Cowboys and, and, the, and their opponents, he's so biased. And I can't listen to him. Mute it. I'm going to have to watch that game on mute because he's ridiculous. Or I'll put it on the radio or something and watch the TV. I, I can't listen to him. I don't think many people can. Unless, of course, you're a Cowboy fan. Uh, but some key matchups for today's game is going to be the Packers' rush defense versus the Cowboys' rookie, obviously, Ezekiel Elliott. they got to shut him down. Heading into the Cowboys-Packers' Week 6 matchup, the Packers were the number one rushing defense in the league, about, allowing about 30, 40, 43 rushing yards per game, two yards a carry, and only one rushing touchdown through Week 6. However, in Week 6, Zeke ran for 157 yards, 5.7 yards a carry, 6 yards a carry. And in total, the Cowboys tagged the Packers' D with 191 yards, which is hundred, just about 150 more yards than the average that they had averaged up until that point. So the Cowboys kind of had their way with the Packers' defense there. Uh, although the Packers' secondary is not strong, obviously I've been talking about it for two weeks now, a lot of injuries to the secondary of the Packers. I'm still looking for the Cowboys to run the ball often to take some pressure off of Dak Prescott because the last thing you want to do is have your rookie quarterback forcing balls into uh, into the secondary of of the uh, the opposing team, and you don't want that to happen. Because mistakes happen, interceptions happen, and points happen off of that. So, but since since week six, it's important to note that the Packers have dropped in the first ranked defense to eighth in the league in, in terms of the rush. Over the regular season, now over the span of the season, Green Bay averages uh, 95 yards allowed per game. Was Week Six rushing defense a fluke or occurrence, or will it happen again? We don't know. Uh, I do think that um, 
first of all, you have to pick your poison. You can't defend everything, right? So I think that the Packers are really going to really stack the box, try and shut down Ezekiel Elliott, because if you shut down the running game, it's going to be very, very tough in the air to beat the Packers, although they have the depleted secondary. Still, it's a rookie quarterback. I mean, we're talking about years of experience in, in Rodgers versus a rookie quarterback in Dak Prescott. Don't get me wrong. He's great. I do like him as a person. I just don't think he's going to have enough for today, okay? So my second key matchup for today's game in the Packers at Cowboys, Aaron Rodgers versus the Cowboys passing defense. Now, there's 32 teams in the league, don't forget. The Cowboys finished a regular season 25th in passing defense. They gave up an average of 270 or just about passing yards per game. Now, we look at last week what happened to the, the shocked Giants. Rodgers put up huge numbers against the number one ranked Giants defense. The Giants defense is way better than the Cowboys defense. And Rodgers lit them up. And that's going to be a huge advantage for Rodgers. That experience and, and, and taking last week's experience versus the Giants into the Cowboys matchup. Now, if the Green Bay Packers were smart, they would be watching the tape of when the Giants beat the Cowboys twice in one season. They got pressure up front, and they forced Dak Prescott to throw the ball, and that's how the Giants won those games. Now, the question posed uh, in, in and around Cowboys Nation is, if Dak Prescott struggles early, right, will the Cowboys put in Tony Romo to clean up the mess? Or should they? My opinion is no. Right. No. You know, if if Dak Prescott is your quarterback of the future, well, then it's important that he gains this experience. And that's not fair to Tony Romo, first of all. I'm not a Romo fan. I'm really not. But that's not fair. That guy's been nothing but a good teammate and a mentor. And he's been nothing but good. That could have been a circus. That could have been a mess. But Tony Romo was the ultimate professional, and to ask him to go into a game where, let's say, the, the Cowboys are down right after halftime by two touchdowns, and to ask Tony Romo to go into to save that game, it would be detrimental to his career, first of all. But it, it just wouldn't be a good moral decision either. In both sides. You're not going to put Tony Romo in uh, to save your season when you, you've cast him off the entire season, first of all. Second of all, if Dak is really your quarterback of the future, then he's got to gain that experience. They're going to be back next year. Right? And when Romo doesn't do the job, if and when Romo doesn't do the job, his NFL career is going to be over. And you can't do that. You, you cannot do that to a guy who has stood by and who has been a good soldier for you since it was announced that Dak Prescott would be the starter moving forward for the rest of the year. You just can't do it to, to a guy like that. In, in terms of what's going to happen in today's game, I, I do think that the Cowboys are going to lose this game to the Packers. It's my score prediction. Here it is. My score prediction is going to be 35-21 Packers over the Cowboys. And the Cowboys are playing at home. Just quickly, I want to touch on the Steelers-Chiefs game. As I alluded to before, that game was supposed to be a 105 kickoff. The game has been moved to an 820 kickoff time due to a severe ice storm in Kansas City. Gives them more time to clean up, as I mentioned at the top of the broadcast today. Andy Reid, important to know, Andy Reid, the coach of the Chiefs, he's 3-0 in playoffs. 
after two weeks of prep, and he's 19-2 and two after a bye week in the playoffs. It doesn't matter to me still. So let's look at this. So how the Steelers are going to win today. Ben Roethlisberger needs to put up home field numbers. At home, Ben has completed 71% of his, of his passes. Listen, 21 touchdowns, 260 passing yards, and he's got a passer rating of over 115. On the road, though, he's completed less than 60% of his passes. He only has 9 touchdowns to 21 at home, under 240 yards, and a passer rating of 78 as compared to 115 at home. So if, if the Steelers are going to win this game, Ben Roethlisberger needs to put up some home field numbers. And the Chiefs are a very, very average pass defense. They rank in the middle of the pack in the regular season this year. So in, in that sense, the Steelers are going to need, need Le'Veon Bell to run well and to take the pressure off Roethlisberger by opening up the passing lane. Because if this is going to be a pass-heavy game, if Roethlisberger is going to stand back there and throw 60, 63 times, um, especially on the road, it's it's not going to work, and, and and Kansas City has one of the best home field advantages in the league. I think it's still called Arrowhead Stadium down uh, down there in Kansas City, and it's a very tough place to play. We can't point to the weather as being a factor today. I don't think because, you know, he plays in it too in Pittsburgh. It's the same sort of weather, uh, so in that sense, I don't think weather will be a factor. Although it will be a factor for both teams, I don't think it's going to be necessarily focused on one team or the other. Also, Ben Roethlisberger, you have to uh, take into consideration, he was walking around with that boot at the beginning of the season, at the end of at the, at the beginning of this week, at the end of uh, last week's game. He did a press conference in a boot. Is his foot totally healed? We don't know. How is his knee feeling? So, you know, there's all these things that, that go into, and, and cold weather accentuates that, by the way. Okay, so how the Steelers are going to win, Roethlisberger needs to put up some home field number numbers. And uh, I love the way Bell runs the ball, though. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the way Le'Veon Bell, he's a patient runner. I mean, he, he, uh, we can talk about this next week. He has come out and said that he's going to revolutionize the game of football in terms of running game because of the way he that he runs. Uh, there's different types of runners. There's a Le'Veon Bell type who's a patient, always keeps his feet moving, and, and then hits the hole kind of runner. Or, or there's like a Marshawn Lynch or a Chris Ivory who's just – you know, pound, pound, pound it, pound it down the middle. And uh, Le'Veon Bell, I think we're going to see a lot of guys trying to emulate his style of run. And, uh, yeah, he just waits for the holes to open up. Yeah, he does. And, then he, and he just goes through them. So, uh, and how the Chiefs are going to win. Well, they're going to win with solid defense all around because, uh, like I said, if they can get some pressure, like I said earlier, if they can get some pressure on Ben Roethlisberger, I mean, it's going to be a long day. I mean, seriously, because they have uh, uh, Tambahali on the Chiefs' defensive line. Okay, for for Tambahali and the Chiefs' D line, first of all, they need to do two things today. One, they need to plug up those said holes for for Le'Veon Bell, and they need to wrap him up right away. He's a hesitant runner. We know that. They need to get into the backfield. What I would like to see is is some outside blitzes from a cornerback, from from a safety on the outside or linebacker on the outside, to get him in the backfield and not let him run through the offensive line. That's what I would like to see. Um, he ran for 160, uh, no, 167 yards last week and two touchdowns against Miami. Uh, the next thing Tom Ali and the Chiefs' D-line need to, they need to force Roethlisberger out of the pocket and make him scramble for yards himself. we got to test out that injured knee and foot. I mean, listen, 
Roethlisberger is not the uh, most mobile. He, he's not the most mobile quarterback. We all know that. So if he's out of the pocket, he, he's no Aaron Rodgers in the pocket. Let's let's just say it like that. If they can force him out of the pocket and make him scramble for some yards himself, you know, that's what they need to do to win this game. And with 12 touchdowns and almost 1,300 yards in the season, Antonio Brown is arguably or is one of the best receivers in the game. Last week versus their uh, Dolphins, Brown had five receptions, two TDs, 124 yards. And uh, I th- you got to look for Eric Bar- Barry to lock him up, make him a non-factor. Uh, if I were the Chiefs, I'd be playing man defense. I would not be playing zone. I think Eric Berry does have shutdown corner capability. And to, to lock down Brown, I think it would be advantageous for the Chiefs defense. Again, the Chiefs defense is just too good. I mean, who's like like someone just sent to me on uh, on Periscope, who's the backup quarterback for the Steelers? If it's not Ben, who is it? You know what I mean? So, you know, to get him out of the pocket, possibly... I hate to say is, you know, tweak. Let's say tweak his knee or his foot one more time. I mean, that's it. Game over if that happens. So my score prediction for, for this game, the, the late game, that I will not get to see the end of because obviously, like a like a normal human being, I have work tomorrow morning, and I'm not staying up until 12 o'clock to, to see how this game ends. Uh, but I'm going to go with, uh, I'll find out tomorrow morning, or you could tweet it to me. Uh, my score prediction is going to be the Chiefs 28, Steelers 24. I just think the Chiefs' defense is just too good. Too good. And although Alex Smith is not proven, and uh, and their coach, Coach Reed, is, is not the best time manager, I think the home field advantage is going to help them. So uh, lock it in. Chiefs 28, Steelers 24. All right, and uh, that's what I got for you guys today. You want to find my work, it's at prosportsrundown.com. Twitter, at Coach, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. YouTube, search Coach, space, McCartan, or SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. If you want me on demand, uh, you can uh, get on iTunes, search uh, Coach McCartan. Tune in radio, 60-60, minute overtime, all spaces in that. And uh, for you Android users, play.google.com. All you need to do is search Coach McCartan with no space. And right now, a video simulcast on Periscope at Coach McCartan. Uh... Are you commentating the Cowboys game today? No, I wish. Maybe I can do that on Twitch. <laughs> uh, and also on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Uh, anything except for Troy Aikman. Anybody except for Troy Aikman. Uh, and uh, I just want to shout out my petition one more time. You can find it on, on both my Twitter and my Facebook. We do have, within the time I've been on air, I believe two more signatures. Someone uh, also commented that the two people, Ray Shirley from Pennsylvania, said this would screw over East Coast fans. How can you stay up past midnight to watch the finish or the end of the game if you have to be at work early the next morning? That's the same question I keep asking. That's why I can't watch the end of tonight's game. Your team, the Steelers. Someone else, Paul Baker, wrote Living in England, these KO times, knockout times, make watching impossible. Agreed. Agreed, and uh, I hope the NFL hears us loud and proud <laughs> because we do not want, as East Coast and, and European fans, we do not want to have any playoff games at nighttime. And while we're at it, we would like to see the Super Bowl move to Saturday if that's possible. 
<laughs> okay, but one thing at a time. One thing at a time. All right, so I'll be back next week, guys, This same time, 11, uh, 11 a.m. Eastern time on all of the same outlets. Hope you guys can hang with me again. And if not, if, if you guys haven't followed me already, please do so. And uh, hope to have a, another jam-packed lineup for you guys. I know I went over on, on time, but you know what? It's all good. It's all good stuff. Okay, so thanks for checking me out. And uh, I will see you guys next week, same time, same place. Follow me on Twitter, at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search, with no spaces, Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.